Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Sticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be bringing you all the final regular season recap of this season. The Thunder going up against the LA Clippers and kind of just the aftermath of this. I think a lot of you already know what happened in this game, and it's been kind of a shaky um, couple of hours. Uh, you know, around circles here, but I'm just going to break it down, really evaluate what this means and what kind of long-term impact it could have, if there is any, which there there might be. But before I talk about that, I have a major, major announcement to make, and I've been telling you all about this the last two podcasts, I think even last week before, you know, I got sick out of nowhere, that I had something big to tell you. And I'm gonna drop it. I'm gonna drop the ball now. Um, you know, this has been uh, a, an amazing venture for me for the past nine months. I, it might even be more. I think I started, yeah, back in last fall. And for me, you know, by the end of this year, I wanted to be able to have a nice community, and that's happened. And I've wanted to expand it, and I wanted to be able to connect not just with Thunder fans, but also all across the board, because not only does that strengthen what I can present to you guys, but it also means more people can come on and kind of shed light on what's going on in other franchises. So just keeping you guys kind of more knowledgeable on what is going on. And I am so, so thankful for this. Um, I have actually joined a network. So I have joined the Basketball Podcast Network. I believe right now there are 23 out of the 30 teams currently manned with hosts right now so that means there's a lot of different people throughout the nba spectrum i'll be able to connect with and kind of give you up-to-date news but yeah like i said it also means a lot more guests will be on here i know this is something that people have wanted a lot of the time it's just been solo podcasts from me so hopefully i'll be able to get a pretty extensive guest book out to you all and make this a really good summer so this was amazing um you know i talked with brandon um, there, you know, chatted up a little bit, perfectly fit what I was looking for. So I'm really, really excited. All the guys are extremely nice. So I'm really happy, uh, for this. I hope you all are too, but yeah, moving forward, uh, I'm going to be under a network and I'm going to be able to produce even better content for you guys on the regular. And not only is this going to be a great experience for the pod it's also going to be great for you all now technically technically i am not uh old enough to advertise for DraftKings, but the network does have a pretty nice sponsorship with them the promo code for that would be tbpn so you guys can check that out as i mentioned um you know there is kind of an age restriction for for gambling and such so 21 and older please. I don't think that'll be an issue with most of you guys listening, but just keep that in mind. But yeah, I'm really, really happy for this next chapter. It's going to be really nice, um, you know, working with these guys and it's just going to elevate what we are doing here. So yeah, really, really thankful for the opportunity, but just jumping into this game against the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, in yesterday's episode, you guys know that the current injury report didn't have Kawhi Leonard, didn't have Paul George, didn't have Reggie Jackson, whoever you wanted, you know, their, their main key pieces, they were not listed on the injury report. And 
the expectation was, hey, they're going to be suited up and this is going to be just an easy win for them, pack their bags and move on into the playoffs. But they pulled a fast one, like an hour or two before the game, they just took everybody off. They took out Paul George. They took out Kawhi Leonard. They wanted to arrest them. And for us, our only counter really was Darius Baisley. And that's not really much of a counter when you take into account he kind of does have those shaky games. So the Clippers just did a total 180 on us. And it's pretty obvious as to why they will do that, like why they did that. Um, it's because they don't want to face the LA Lakers and <laughs> take it as you will. I would consider that pretty cowardly, but you know, to some, I mean, it's just good strategy. We're out here trying to tank. They are too. Scott Van Pelt. I don't know if he's going to be talking about the Clippers anytime soon, but that's definitely worth noting. That was probably the biggest blatant tank I've seen in a weekend all season long. So good on them, but they brought out a roster that was just drained down to the core. They had Reggie Jackson playing barely, Patrick Beverly playing barely, Luke Kennard, who's pretty solid, Patrick Patterson, who should not be starting on anyone's team. I don't care if you don't have a lot of your guys there. You had Serge Ibaka coming off the bench. You're telling me you're going to play Patrick Patterson over him? I don't know what world we're living in, but um, that's not a good choice. And then they got Ivaka Zubac for the game. That's their typical starting center. And for the Thunder, their lineup was not on paper like that extreme. It's kind of what we're used to here, but it's obviously not, you know, pristine by any sense. You had Teo, you had Poku at the two, Josh Hall at the three, Roby at the four, and Moses Brown at the five. So the main deal was Josh Hall got his first career start and Baisley was out. Dort was out. We've kind of been accustomed to that for the past week, but that's nothing really new. I mean, for the Clippers, that was just a total curveball what they did in the lineups. And, um, you know, they made things even more interesting when they subbed out of Vaka Zubac six seconds into the game, just intentionally foul him. He picked up, I think, you know, every single game of the year. I guess that's a little accolade. Maybe that's a money bonus if you play in all 72 games or something, but he touched the court and then just left. Didn't have to deal with it anymore. And then they brought in I think it was a second round pick in uh, Daniel Aturu, and he pretty much played the whole entire time. But oh my goodness, this was a little bit rough. I mean, the Thunder, they got out to a quick 7-0 lead. They couldn't miss from the three-point line. You had Poku, who was shooting lights out. I think by the end of the first quarter, he had 13 points or something. Didn't even miss his shot in that time. And the Clippers didn't have any sort of options whatsoever. In the second, it was close, but they got it down, I think, to a tie ball game with about five seconds to go or something like that. And on the very other end, Moses Brown got a tip in with like 0.2 seconds left. So the Thunder were up two going into halftime. Uh, that's not bad, um, but I think you kind of need to recognize what was going on in the game. Like that first half was all OKC. It felt like there was almost no defense from the Clippers. They could just go into the lane whenever they wanted. They had a 40 to 18 advantage in the paint. And the only real hitch was they were shooting below 30% from three, but it didn't matter when you're able to go in constantly and you have Patrick Patterson and Daniel Aturu forming out your front court lineup. Like that's just two points waiting to happen every play. So that's exactly what they did. LA, 
their game plan was more or less shooting threes as well, but they just didn't have success inside. So it was kind of a surprise they were even hanging on in the game. And, you know, there was a bit of an attempt by Mark Dagnall to actually bring them into the lead because he rolled out Charlie Brown Jr. and Jalen Horde to start the third quarter. And you had Josh Hall, but he was actually doing really well at the time. I think even at double digits by halftime. But just kind of a funky lineup to combat LA's, which consisted of like Jay Scrub, Yogi Farrell, Daniel Aturu, Patrick Patterson, and you can really throw out anybody you want. Terrence Mann, just guys like that. Insignificant pieces who, truthfully, I think outside of maybe like two of those names, aren't going to graze the floor in playoff time. So. They had it down, completely watered. There was nothing here, and I mean, it, it was rough. So it was still close by the fourth quarter, but it was still more or less like it. It didn't feel like we were going anywhere. This was a very tedious game where it was almost like rec league play. Barely any defense, especially from the Clippers for the Thunder. They didn't have any offense outside of the interior for the most part. So it was really just back and forth, getting rebounds with no real contest on them, and then jacking up shots. And that was it. And then the fourth quarter rolls around, and it was still close. It was still close. Josh Hall got out to, I think, a 5-0 run on his own. Had two layups, one of them being an and one. And then you go over and the game keeps getting knotted up, knotted up. And at this point, I am, you know, I am nervous as hell. Like, I am sweating at the bullet right now. Because all the different odds going into this one singular game, you go 71 games to get here, and you run into a Clippers team that, truthfully, just did not care about getting a W. They they wanted to lose. Um, did we want to lose? I, I don't think so, because some of the stuff Dagnall did, I'll get into that later, but boy, um, it was tough, and I think the late game rotations for, for the Thunder really set them back, they had Moses Brown in, Alexei Pokashevsky, and Josh Hall, those three were a three-headed monster, none of them were contested on shots, Moses Brown, seven foot two, I don't have it on tap right now, I'll definitely check, but I can't imagine Oturu is anywhere close to that. I'll give him maybe six foot nine on a good day. Did not look very good at all. But it was no defense. There was no defense. And to close the game out, you had Poku hit down the dagger. It was a 27 footer with 48 seconds to go. Step back three. And it was done. LA on the other side. They scrambled. They had one of those like Hamadou Diallo plays when the Pistons were tanking as hard as possible. You get into the mid-range, you don't pass, and you just dwindle the clock down and shoot up a terrible two. Pretty much what happened here, and it didn't get him anywhere. Of course, they missed, and it turned right back off um, into the Thunder getting right back at it. Poku missed a jumper. Moses Brown threw down like a tip-in. And that was your ball game. So the Thunder won 117 to 112, and it didn't really help because, you know, the broadcast crew and Chris Fisher, Michael Cage, like obviously their job is to hype up, uh, hype up the wins. And 
yeah, you don't want, like, a normal person who is kind of just going in and out of the Thunder season, they don't know the implications this game had, they don't really care to hear, you know, your your announcers complaining about it. Of course, no one wants to hear the home announcers complaining about it. Truthfully, I think at least Chris Fisher, probably even Michael Cage, because he uses Twitter so much, they know that this game had a lot to do with seeding. And even John Radigan in the post game talked about it for like 10 seconds. That's all we got all like the whole year. We got 10 seconds of what the lottery standings would have looked like. So their perspective really has to be altered towards the positives of the team. And it makes sense. That's what they're paid to do. And truthfully, you cannot fault them. But man, when they're talking about this is a great way to end the season. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know about that. I might stop you right there due to the odds. And I was talking to one of my friends. I was talking to Nick. I brought him on a couple times. He was rooting for the Thunder to win. And it, it was almost annoying um, being on, on the phone with him. Because it's like, you don't get it. Um, obviously, if we get the right picks, this won't matter. But if you get like the 7th or 8th pick, this is what you're going to be talking about. You're going to be talking about Poku, Moses Brown, and Josh Hall just lighting up uh, really, really um, drained LA Clippers team where I don't know out of their roster they played how many would be playing on an NBA team next year. It was rough for them, you know. So I don't know. I mean, it, it was bad. Uh, I was just really pouring out all my sorrows. On Twitter, I was listening to like Andrew Schlecht. They were for like an hour. We're bringing on callers, complaining. Um, I've listened to a couple other podcasts, and it just happens to all be the same. Like everybody has just gotten on board of the tank. And as soon as this door opened for the Thunder to have split odds of the third seed, um, I mean, there was just no reason to want to win here. And you get it, and it just completely decimates what you've been doing for the past like six months so with that and this is obviously coming from tyler carroll's spreadsheet he does an amazing job in terms of calculations for lottery standings definitely check him out on twitter um the at for him is tyler carroll 12 so please do check him out but in the standings and this is when you combine us and the rockets pick on you know how many would be in the top five so one of them being top five these were pretty good odds entering the day oklahoma city had an 83.4 percent chance of hitting a home run swing with the rockets pick or the thunder pick in the top five now when you look at things with that one win because it adds you onto a tie with the cleveland cavaliers they found themselves down 12 percent in that area that is huge, and it may not seem that big, um, you know, because obviously ours is going to be higher than anybody else in the league because of the kind of hit or miss factor we have on both of our two picks right now, but man, um, if we manage to lose, it really wouldn't have changed anything because everyone else lost too, but we still would have had that 83.4% shot at things. Um, and things just would have looked a lot brighter, but just looking at the individual selection, us sliding down from three to four and potentially five based off a coin flip, the odds go down 7% for a top five pick. And for the first pick, it goes down 2.5%. 
Those are big numbers to just be giving up, and to give it up on one game, man, um, it's very, it's very saddening. But just talking about what happened, I mean, I guess the only positive here is at least Alexei Pogashevsky was the guy to hit the main shots in this game, and he actually posted a career high on the night. He recorded 29 points on a 10 of 19 clip, went 6 of 9 from 3, went 3 of 4 from the charity stripe, and had eight rebounds. Seven turnovers was really the only bad thing for him. But nobody was guarding him. Nobody was guarding him. I don't think there's a single dude on the Clippers team who suited up. Maybe Zubach, but six seconds? Yeah, whatever, man. Um, you know, the guys who go out there and clean on the floor, they probably have more air time than, the, than six seconds in a game, you know? So I don't even want to consider it. They weren't guarding him. They weren't stepping up on any of his step backs. He was pulling up driving into the lane, whatever he wanted, it was going in. But he was not the big problem here. The main reason why the Thunder lost in this game rested in Moses Brown. And Moses Brown, he's seven foot two. He has like a seven foot four inch wingspan. We've seen him since he's come out of the G League bubble. We know what his abilities are. He's just working inside. He'll give you a high ball screen. He'll roll extremely well. And he's very good at tip-ins. Outside of like that 25% chance, it's an offensive goaltending, right? But for the most part, he's very good at that. And when you don't put him up against a big defender or at least a very, very strong one, he's going to have a field day. He's going to have a double-double in the first 20 minutes of the game. He's going to be your star. And there was just no chance that anyone on the you know, Clippers roster was going to stop him. He had probably not just the best game of his Oklahoma City Thunder career in the last game, but probably overall, I'm talking G League included. He had 24 points on 12 of 19 shooting, and to go along with it, he had 18 rebounds, eight of those being on the offensive glass. It was a G League game in the sense that no one could stop him. And look, there was, and this also comes from Andrew Schlecht when he was talking, there was this kind of deal where he was in the arena and he said that he did not see Tyron Lue get out of his chair. And I 100% believe him because there was no defensive adjustments from the Clippers this entire game. There was no logical timeouts, really. And there were no, you know, defensive matchup changes on Moses Brown the entire time. It was just let the game run its course and who cares? Just move on and let's get ready for the playoffs. So he just let Daniel Aturu out on a string and watched him get butchered for about 40 minutes of the game last night. And I don't, I, I think he probably has a smile on his face, honestly. But it kind of just gives you the, the evidence you need here that truthfully, the game planning and the coaching just was not there on the Clippers side. And that's probably the main reason they lost. That is the reason they lost here. And the reason I say that is Moses Brown did not even attempt a free throw in this game. And let me just back this up and preface this. When Moses Brown was playing in the G League, a lot of the people he faced were six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine. There's about seven, like out of seven footers in the G League. I'd say they're about three or four. And OKC had two of them. The only guys on the top of my head that I know were seven feet or taller that Moses Brown played in the G League bubble were, I guess, I don't know if Henry Ellenston is seven feet. I think he's close. But then there's also Nick Richards for the Greensboro Swarm. 
and those two gave him a, a nice shot, but all these other smaller guys simply could not handle him, and the only workaround to this to not see, you know, Moses Brown play ping pong against the backboard or get 20 million offensive rebounds, you know, more like six in a game, that's probably what he averaged, honestly, they had to try to almost trap him around the baseline with two or three defenders, and I'm not joking. You'd get an entry pass from one of the point guards, Ty Jerome, Xavier Simpson, Ryan Woolridge, whoever it may be, he'd get the entry pass, and then he'd already be swarmed. They did not want him to get the ball passed around that third game. Coaches game-planned around this man, and they would make on-the-fly adjustments to say, you know what, we're going to sacrifice threes all day long as long as it means that Moses Brown is not going to be under the basket. And sometimes it didn't matter. He would just snag a rebound and chuck it right back up. But on the chances where he had to get the ball and gather, he would not be able to go back up without being in a herd of the opposition's jerseys, pretty much. And you never saw that from the Clippers the entire game. It was one-on-one, and Daniel Aturu wasn't even in the paint most of the time. He was probably looking off into the distance. I don't know what was going on, but they weren't guarding the paint, and you never saw double teams or triple teams there. And the big deal, the big takeaway from that is those double teams and triple teams do affect Moses Brown's ability to score because one-on-one in the G League, he would have averaged around 30 points. But what it led to was he had to earn it at the charity stripe. He was... At the peak, when he was, I think, player of the week, week two after Paul Reed, he ranked either first or second in free throws. And I know in centers, he ranked first, and it was not even close. He was putting up like six free throws a game because he'd get the ball, and, you know, some of the G League guys are not entirely polished. They'd stick their hand, you know, right above Moses Brown's wrist. He'd fling it up, and he got two free throws almost every time. And that that's the way to do it. That's way more efficient than just saying, let's play this out and see what Moses Brown does. Now, Tyron Liu goes in here. He ends up playing Daniel Turu, who was not good for them <laughs> at all. Yeah, ended up playing him 37 minutes on the game. 37 minutes. And Moses Brown on the other side for the Thunder played 37 minutes as well. So part of the issue is also Mark Dagnall for keeping him in. But... It, it didn't matter. You could put in Tony Bradley and it almost would have been the same exact deal. They did not have any sort of emphasis on actually straddling down the paint. And because of that, the Thunder had 78 points in the paint. That is a franchise record. So it was easy. Um, it was really ridiculous kind of just watching that though. I, I'm not even mad about Poku. I think Poku did a great job. The shots he was taking... He'd probably get those looks on an everyday uh, occurrence. But Moses Brown, you're never going to see this wide open of a lane again. And the same goes for all these guys. They just weren't guarding down low. And it's wild to me because some of the, if not probably the best defender Moses Brown has faced outside of like a Rudy Gobert or something of that essence is O'Shea Brissett for the Indiana Pacers. And Brissett is six foot seven. They met in the G League. And you know what happened? He was used, and he was accompanied by a second man, and it filled out everything. O'Shea is a pretty athletic guy, pretty big as well, pretty muscular, so he was able to box out, get rebounds, and if he wasn't right there, he'd just box out and help someone out, 
you know, help someone else get aboard, honestly. But it didn't matter. Like, you could be 6'7", 6'8", and be great. But one-on-one, there's no shot. And that's what Tyron Lue did through Aturu in the gauntlet. And I think really what it comes down to is Brown because you switch him in with anybody else and this would have gone an entirely different path. But another dude that that was really, really good was Josh Hall. And it's kind of puzzling how this works because Charlie Brown Jr. yesterday or two days ago got a guaranteed contract, at least for this year, and then it's multi-year. So next season, it's probably going to be non-guaranteed. See what he can do in training camp. And then if not, he goes to the G League. I think there's probably a case just based off of how Josh Hall played. He probably deserves that spot. He played exactly like Darius Baisley in the night. Out of his 11 made field goals, I could probably tell you that around seven or eight of them came off of acrobatic layups, like double clutches, um, you know, midair, having to damn near put it back down, like put it to his chest and then fling it right back up. Just some really wacky layups he was pulling off. And then he was even getting a line, got there six times, only made two. But that's not the point. I mean, he ended the game with 25 points and 10 rebounds. Granted, he played 42 minutes, but he had 25 points and 10 rebounds. So he was a major, major bright spot for the roster. And it was just because no one wanted to defend him. Josh Hall in previous games has shown potential. He's been able to get into the lane, but as soon as he hits that second layer of defense, everything almost falls apart for him. And this is what Baisley kind of ran into. This is the same situation he worked out of through hop steps, spin layups, and all, all those sorts of deals. Like, And Josh Hall doesn't have that in his game yet, but that's the next step for him if he wants to be very good there. And there's, seed, there's seedlings of that. But in a typical game, um, if you're playing the playoff Clippers, you would not have entry to the lane for a guy like Josh Hall. So he can get by that first layer, but second layer, there's going to be a dude there. There was no second layer, so it led to just easy, easy shots all day long for him to the point he was able to shoot 21 times, making 11 of them, and he just cooked up the roster to pieces, cooked the Clippers up. Outside of those guys, there were still a couple of nice pieces. Roby had 10 points in 12 minutes. He had to get pulled out of the game. Teo Maladon, you don't want to risk him going off and being the guy. He had three points in 13 minutes, so it wasn't wild. But they're picking these guys out, I would assume, as a strategy tactic. Um, and it didn't matter because the rookies here, I guess I guess uh, Brown would be a sophomore, but they were playing like all-stars. So the, you got to tip their cap off. But if this is a situation where uh, the Thunder get like the eighth pick or something, and I don't know, the Magic, they get number one or number two. We're going to look at this, and there's going to be a pretty solid trivia question surrounding Josh Hall. Like, he was the guy who didn't give us our pick, or Poku's shot wasn't the guy, uh, was the guy who lost us out of our pick. Any of the three uh, of that trifecta really could do the trick for you if you want to make that case, but... It's just wild. I mean, nobody played bad here. Tony Bradley off the bench, as I talked about, like maybe that would have been a good alternative. It would have been better than Moses Brown in the fourth quarter, honestly, because I think Bradley's only six foot ten and definitely not as quick or athletic. So he couldn't have just ran right by a two-roo. At least I'd hope that'd be the case. But 
He went 4 or 5 on the game. He had 7 rebounds to go along with it. He was perfect. The only real guy who was not impressive was Charlie Brown Jr. And he got to play 31 minutes, but he probably should have played more if their intent was losing. And it wasn't. I can tell you that because Mark Dagnall was doing the in-game adjustments. He wanted to filter in and out the rotation, and he even had a successful challenge in the game. That's the most clear kind of point. That's that's all the evidence you need to know in a key game that you and everybody else assumes you're trying to lose. You call a challenge and you're successful? I don't know. Um, that'd be a very dumb idea if you walked into the arena wanting to lose the game. So the only bad player was really Charlie Brown, and he got the deal. Um, clearly, we don't have enough tape on him to say, oh, he's not going to be great. But I'll tell you what, Josh Hall, um, on this two-way deal, he's going to be hitting you know, the free agency books here. And I'll get back to you tomorrow on this because I don't have the exact um, rules on this. But I don't know if after a two-way deal expires, there's like some sort of rights that the Thunder will acquire, like, will he be restricted when he hits free agency this year? Will he not? Uh, and I'll tell you what, if he's not, he's going to have bids from people. I know that growing up, he's he was really, really huge in, I think it was North Carolina, where he was in prep school, he was a five-star prospect, I think even at the time, he wanted to attend NC State. Tell me the Charlotte Hornets wouldn't go all after this guy. The Charlotte Hornets would love to have him. They definitely need a backup small forward to Gordon Hayward. Who do they have right now? Like Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, Josh Hall would be perfect. He'd get a deal from them for sure. So I think he has some sort of future on the table just based off that one game that he's had. And he's only 20 years old, turns 21 in October. So there's a lot of gas left in the tank. Charlie Brown Jr. is 24 years old and... At best, you're looking at a 3 and D guy. I think there's a lot of different layers to Josh Hall's game that you can kind of dissect. But I'll tell you what, that's probably the best you're going to see from Josh Hall for a while, just based off the circumstances of the game. is so, so weird, but I mean, damn. That was just kind of my little tirade about it. When you look at what the Clippers were doing, though, I mean, it's almost, it's almost worse. Like, sure, they had a Turu who um, was not even part of the team really before the game like entering the night he had 112 minutes on the year got to play 38 in this one but he didn't lead the team in minutes the guy who did was Patrick freaking Patterson we still have him on the payroll it's off the books now because this is a final year we got him but if you're playing Patrick Patterson in your starting lineup it's a problem if you're playing Patrick Patterson 42 minutes you're gonna be losing the game but when Patrick Patterson playing 42 minutes is not the worst player on the roster, oh my gosh, the fact that Thunder won by five is just a miracle. It It is literally a miracle. He was not the worst guy, and we got to see him for 42 minutes. This was a typical performance from him, honestly, where it was like, uh, you know, a lot of... A lot of corner threes that just weren't going in for him. He shot two for eight, so I, I think maybe he's in rhythm when he's not in the Chesapeake Energy Arena, but when he is, he's just not He's not there. Lights are turned off. We, we saw it for a whole season to the point we had to buy him out. But yeah, it was terrible. I mean, Luke Kennard, who should have been that number one guy, shot one of seven from downtown, 
overall as a team. They shot 10 of 43 from deep range. That's 23%. So they were just ice cold and kind of go along with it. Serge Ibaka, who was probably their best guy leaning out into the game, he shot 4 of 10 to get 12 points, but he shot 1 of 6 from 3. And Daniel Aturu, who I think was the worst guy on the roster for them, shot 1 of 4. And to make matters even worse, he shot 21 times in the game, hit 5 shots. And get a load of this. Before this game tipped off, Daniel Aturu had attempted 37 field goals in his career. He shot 21 in this game. <laughs> he just had the ultimate green light. Ultimate green light. Ah, man. Um, they can pull the development card. I don't know if Adam Silver really cares. I think this is a game that is going to go under the radar solely because they made the injury report so damn late uh, on. But, wow. It was just very hard to see that. I mean, Aturu, he was... Just at the top of the key, he didn't have the stroke whatsoever in the game. And when he went inside, it was a problem. Moses Brown was not letting it happen for him. The only real good part of this was he had seven offensive rebounds because the you know, the shots kind of ran a little bit uh, short. And also Moses Brown rejected him. Like, Yeah, he had seven blocks on the game. So there were a lot of extra chances for them. But... Um, yeah, I mean, there was just nothing good. He was shooting the mid-range a crap ton. Shot four times on the uh, the left baseline. Went one of four from that area. So, it was just, it was disgusting. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Not really anyone here who I thought was a threat. The only guy who really was for them was Terrence Mann. And he shot seven of eight to get 19 points. He was a killer in the bubble, Diallo versus Terrence Mann, final game before the playoffs, it was a classic, uh, at least that's what I want to believe, but they took him out the game, Tyron Lue didn't want to risk it, that's leading all your, your cards on the table, it, it's too obvious there, and even a guy like Yogi Ferrell, who went 5 of 12, he only played 26 minutes, and someone like Jay Scrub even, he went 7 of 17, end up with 14 points they wanted to take him out for some of the critical parts where the game was close because he was the reason they got themselves back into this game so every time you think the game is going to get close just cut out everybody who's been a positive impact just shake it over and over again until the final horn they got what they wanted and now we lose out on on some odds and i'm i'm being a debbie downer i'm not gonna lie you know this was um not a great game because of truthfully just all the different implications it had if this was a season opener or a game where we had a cushion to where our seating didn't matter oh yeah i would have loved this i would have been raving about poku raving about moses brown raving about josh hall but it's very tough because of what we lost out on here in terms of picks but you got to keep in mind like two years ago zion williamson to the pelicans i think the odds of that were about six percent as it stands let's say we win the tiebreaker here the thunder they have an 11.5 percent of that number one pick anyways so there's still a very big chance for a lot of hits to go it just kind of expands where we can land on the board and hurts a bit if we want to get one of those top five 
prospects in the game. So it's a bit of a shot of a shot in the heart. Like, you know, no one really wanted to see this because of everything that the team has gone through. But yeah, as I said, at least the win was through Poku being amazing. Like this was his his game. He was feeling it from start to finish. But wow, um, yeah, it, it it was it was rough. But there's nothing you can do now. So as I said with the final standings, it's not all that bad. We still have better chances of a top five pick just based off the Houston one as well. Obviously, we don't get their top four chances, but we have, uh, you know, a pretty clean cut at that too. I think it's in the 40s. So, you know, you don't want to lose out on hope here. I think that, yeah, it was a good kind of happy ending to the season in terms of the team. But for the future, this could have been pretty detrimental and we will figure that out in the lottery. But wow. Um, yeah, that, what a way to end it uh, with all the kind of hype surrounding tanking to to win the last one. But you wouldn't have thought going into the All-Star break that the Thunder would even be in this position. So this was clearly the best tank, I'd say, out of any team because the Rockets, they kind of had an early start on everybody whenever they knew James Harden wanted out and he wanted to you know, almost implode the team, like John Wall was having issues too, Victor Oladipo ended up getting moved, they had that whole entire, like, fire sale, they were just tanking automatically, they didn't have much to worry about, the Timberwolves, they weren't tanking, they just had a lot of injuries, and they were playing straight up bad, the Magic, they were just straight up bad too, um, I think that's how that goes for most rosters here, the Pistons, they were just blatantly tanking, they didn't want to try Jeremy Grant at all, so they want Kate Cunningham, obviously. But the Thunder shouldn't have had any business here. I quite frankly thought seventh or eighth was where we'd be slotted at with this tank. I thought 25, 26, maybe even 27 wins. I think to begin the season when I did my predictions, I said 28 was around where we'd hit. I was way off on that. And I'm thankful because it means that the Thunder can continue to grow. So there's going to be a lot of prospects that are going to be scouted on this podcast moving forward. I'm definitely still going to be talking about the play-in because look at how stacked it is. Like You have the Warriors going up against the Lakers. You have the Wizards playing in the 8-9 uh, matchup against the Boston Celtics. What more could you be asking for? Also, my bad. It's the 7-8. I forgot. But same thing stands. Like Every result went perfect um, in, the, in the games except for ours honestly, except for, you know, you could also talk about Detroit and Orlando and all that, but for the most part, we hit, uh, like, as an NBA fan, you gotta be happy outside of this Thunder game, so, yeah, uh, there's still gonna be talk, uh, about the play-ins, because there still is some teams, like the Wizards, that's gotta be the team moving forward, right, like, Russell Westbrook, if he's playing against KD and the Brooklyn Nets, oh my gosh, you might even, I might even need to turn this into a, a Wizards podcast for a week, but man, that is going to be must-watch television. That is something that everyone needs, especially Thunder fans, and if Westbrook is able to topple the Nets in that situation, oh my gosh, that'd be very sweet to see, but you got the storyline still. This is clearly still the most exciting team in the NBA left. There is going to be some 
interviews with the players starting at 9 a.m. Uh, tomorrow. I guess as I record this, it would be the day of, but there's going to be their exit interviews. There probably will be some good substance from there that I can talk about in tomorrow's episode, but even teeing off from that, as I said, scouting, and I'm going to be able to talk to guests um, in the summer. I'm going to try to align some, some people to talk to. Uh, so I know you guys probably would be pretty excited about that. But there's a lot of stuff that we can we can mention on from here. The draft is the big one. We got that major draft lottery. And then you kind of go branch off from that on the board. I think the Miami pick is locked in at 18 for us. Unless we get the Rockets one. And then 18, who even cares, right? But there's a lot of interesting prospects in this draft that I want to kind of hammer down on. And then also free agency and kind of where everybody would budge, and hey, I think season evaluations on all the players would also be a pretty good uh, ending, but yeah, this has been an amazing season, I just wrapped up typing out my final game recap, and it still hasn't really hit me, like I type those during the game, afterwards it takes me like 45 minutes to jumble up all the stats, and have it all make a lot of sense to because it is just a lot of nonsense, I like, you know, just random comments I have, and then bring it all together, but yeah, um, don't have to do those, and no more Thunder games until next year, I think it's expected to be around Halloween, they might still have a delay on it, but we're gonna have some time off, uh, but that doesn't mean that the fun is going to end here, so the road's done for the Thunder, I am most definitely not, and with being a new member of the Basketball Podcast Network, it surely will not be doing so. So make sure to tune in during the summer. Going to make it a big one. Really appreciate all the support I've received throughout these 72 games. You know, this was a kind of project I I branched out from just having free time due to COVID and, you know, kind of having a passion for basketball and writing and just talking about it because it is very fun to talk basketball and now uh it it's really gotten me into a a good position and it's kind of helped me in my mind frame of uh what might be next so thank you all so much for the ride it's not done but um yeah I'll, i'll make sure to talk to you all in the next episode really appreciate all the love i have received and yeah just really appreciate it so I am out for this one. I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.